0: The American Revolution was one of the most significant military conflicts in the history of the world. I'm standing here at Fort Moultrie on Sullivan's Island, where one of the most decisive battles of that war took place. You know, every year on the 4th of July, we celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It would lead people to believe that 1776 was a per- particularly good year for the Colonial Army. In fact, nothing can be further from the truth. The Americans lost battle after battle. Our two largest cities were taken over by Great Britain, Philadelphia and New York. In fact, the very cause of independence was holding on by a thread. It prompted Thomas Paine to write the famous words, These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country but the deepest love and thanks to those who stand now. It was on this ground, on June the 28th, 1776, that a ragtag group of 400 colonial soldiers made their stand against the greatest navy in the history of the world. By the time that engagement was over, some 40 guns turned back 300 British guns on nine British warships. These 400 men, under the command of General William Moultrie, most of them farmers and shopkeepers, changed the world because they were willing to give everything for the cause of freedom. Well,
1: good morning. It's good to see you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off site campus or uh, one of the venues here uh, at Long Point Road or maybe on the internet especially those of you uh, from north of the Mason-Dixon line. You probably didn't know that that we saved your sorry behinds in the Revolutionary War. (laughs) It's just good to be from South Carolina, isn't it? It's a great weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. Glad you guys are here. Hey, um... If you ever have you ever just kind of stopped and thought or had had the thought go through your mind, I wonder if, I wonder if my life really makes a difference. I wonder if what I do really matters. You know, usually it's on a birthday that we have those thoughts, isn't it? Like when you turn the big 3-0 <laughs> or 4-0 <laughs> or 5-0 or just add one to anything with a nine, you know. And you're you're basically the same as you were yesterday, but you take time to reflect and think and you wonder, did did I really or have I really made a difference or do I make a difference? And here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest that that thought and that desire to be a difference maker is hardwired into us by our Creator. God wants us to make a difference wherever we are. That's why when we do, there's such a huge payoff. I mean, I've seen it in the eyes recently of medical professionals when they did a dental access clinic or maybe when they come home from, you know, a a mission uh, trip, a medical mission trip, and and you can see it in their eyes, you can hear it in their voice, when they said, you know what, what we do every day makes a difference, but we made a major difference in somebody's life that couldn't help themselves. Or maybe it's an everyday person who tutors, Uh, less fortunate kids that maybe don't have as great a chance as your kids do or other kids do and and in fact recently i was talking to somebody that was tutoring uh, someone in, in our north charleston campus who was failing at school and now they're taking college prep courses and you could just see it in their eyes i'm making a difference or, or it, it might not be something, you know, as, as large as, as providing medical care or, or tutoring a, a child. Maybe it's just an everyday, you know, kind of random act of kindness and you do something and it makes a difference for somebody and maybe they don't even know it and something inside of you says, that that's right. That's what I was created to do. See, Jesus was the original difference maker. It began with Him. He came 2,000 years ago. And He made a difference. He changed the world. Why did He do that? Why did He come and live and teach and die and rise again? Because the world was broken. Because it was wrong. The world wasn't what God created it to be. And Jesus came and He, and he, and he willingly gave Himself, the Bible says, and he, and he became a difference maker. And then He established the church and I'm so excited about this series. We're starting the book of Acts and we're going to study the church because it began with Jesus, just one. And then it began with just a ragtag group of people, you know. they are kind of like those guys on Fort Moultrie and and, and they, they they literally changed their world. We're going to study that over the next few years. And it begins, a <laughs> few years. <laughs> kind of like the Luke series. <laughs> Did I say a few weeks? <laughs> And then it goes on to you. To you. Because here's God's plan. Here's God's plan. I'm going to tell you up front what my desire is. What my desire is. Now, these days there are about 12,000 of us that gather on the weekend at, here and at the various campuses. What if we could mobilize every one of us? What if we all would go wherever God has called us to in the place that we live in the, the towns, in the, in the workplaces, in the schools, whatever. And what if jesus could live through us and we could be difference makers and he could change the world through us See, i'm just radical enough to believe that if you're a christian if you're a christ follower then your family should be better off because of it if if you're a christ follower the school that you go to should be better off because you're in it if you're a christ follower the place where you work should be a better environment to work because Jesus is living through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christ follower, your neighbor should be glad that you live there because you mow your lawn all the time and you put your trash bin away right after the trash guys come. And you're just Jesus is just living through you. Okay, all right. You get an amen there at all? Okay, all right. If in, in 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 your city. The city, ought to, the city ought to be glad that this church is in the city because the, the church makes a difference in the lives of those who matter to God, which is everybody. See, that's the vision, and that's what happened in Acts chapter 1. And so here's what I want to do. We're, we're going to go through a study. Hopefully it won't take years, but we're going to start today. And I don't know how else to start, but just to start, okay? What we're going to do here, here let me read it. We, uh, the book of Acts, guess who wrote the book of Acts. Luke, a few of you said, Luke, did you know that, did you know that we just finished Luke? But Luke's not finished yet. In fact, if you have an outline sheet or if you've got a Bible or, you know, a PDA, whatever you, you use to read your Bible, would you take that out right now? And let's just read the first few verses and then we'll kind of dive into this study. And, oh, by the way, there's going to be small groups. We're, we're all kind of trying to study the same thing for the next six weeks. And I want to encourage you here and at the campuses to jump in, be a part of a small group, so we can kind of all be on the same page for just a few weeks here. Um, Acts chapter 1. Dear Theophilus, in my first book, what was his first book? Oh, you guys are good. <laughs> Yeah, This is his second book. I haven't written my first book yet, but I'm working on it. In my first book, I told you about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he ascended to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions from the Holy Spirit. And during the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. Why did he appear to them from time to time? says, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. What difference did that make? That meant he was God. He was who he said he was. And he appeared to hundreds of them from time to time, as many as 500 at one time. And on these occasions, when he appeared to them, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And what we're going to do today is we're going to study one of these occasions. When he sat down with a group of believers and he talked to them about the kingdom of god this is what your life is going to look like in the next few days and weeks he says you're going to be a world changer you're going to make a difference you're, you're you're not going to believe the difference your life is going to make well i want to be a world changer i trust that you do too god's called every one of us to it i hope by the end of the message you'll realize that let's jump in how do you how do you how do you change your world? The first thing is kind of surprising. First instruction that he gave them. And that's this. You take a time out. You don't get started right away. You take a time out. Look at the next verse. Verse 4. In one of these meetings, as he was eating a meal with them, he told them, do not leave Jerusalem. He had a mission for them that was going to reach not only Jerusalem, but the surrounding area and the entire world. And he said, you know, don't get started too quick. Don't get started too quick. You need to take a timeout. Timeouts are good, aren't they? When do you need a timeout? You need a timeout when the world's coming at you too fast. You need a timeout when you don't understand things. You need a timeout when things are changing quickly. You need a timeout just to stop and to think. We teach our kids that, don't we? Timeout. I love the timeouts these days. They're not like they used to be. My dad's timeouts included what they now call reminders. But with my grandkids, they're learning timeouts. It's so cool. So cool. A, a grandkids story? I'm only going to do it for the next 20 years. <laughs> then we'll start on the great-grands. Um, I wish we'd have had these classes when when, um, when Debbie and I were raising kids. You know, w- with your kids, I don't know if your kids are, were like ours. Ours were wonderful kids until you went out somewhere, uh, like to a restaurant or Walmart. We didn't have Walmart, but whatever, you know. You go out, and then they just kind of re- release. They're demon-possessed, all this kind of stuff comes out, you know. <laughs> The kids aren't demon-possessed, okay? All right, all right. Just chill. And so and so you go out, and you don't know what to do. And so my grandkids, I watch my kids with my grandkids, and, and here's what they do. Little Miles, two years old, he'll be just going nuts. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? And they'll say, Miles, get some self-control. I'm thinking, that's not going to work. <laughs> it's called the timeout, but they say, get some self-control. And so what they do is they say, Miles, put your hands together. And he, he puts his hand together. <laughs> He's just going nuts. (laughs) But he's got his hands together. Nuts. Then they'll say, take a deep breath. And he does. It's just incredible take a deep breath. Take three of them. And now let's count to 20. And they count to 20. And by the end of that, he chills. It's a miracle. It's got perspective. The other day, Lisa was on the way home with Miles and Greta Kate, and they were both in their car seats, you know. Greta Kate's six weeks old. And Greta Kate was going nuts. And not, not much you can say to a six six week old right after a little bit miles turns to his mama and he says greta kate needs a time out <laughs> once in a while we need a time out you need jesus says to the new church says don't get started yet things are crazy right now take a time out see timeouts were important to jesus Jesus took timeouts before every major challenge that he had. When he first went into ministry, he took a 40-day timeout in the desert, a time of fasting and prayer, and then he started his ministry. Uh, When he chose his first disciples, he took a timeout and he went away by himself and he prayed all through the night, it said, before he did it. Before he went to the cross, you know what he did? He went to the Garden of Eden and he took a timeout to get perspective. Timeouts are important. Some of the best things I've received from God have been during timeouts. Um, I try to have little bitty mini timeouts every day. Do you do that? I try to have a timeout in the morning before I face the world. Just read a little bit of scripture, pray just a little bit, listen just a little bit, because I don't know what's going to be coming at me that day. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's challenging. Do you guys have those kind of days? And so I take a mini time out, try to take a mini time out. And then during the day sometimes when, when life's going fast or you know, I don't know what to do, I'll take a mini time out and I'll just whisper a prayer. A lot of times for me, it's just claiming scriptures in the Bible. James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask that God gives it. And I claim that and have a mini time out. And it just gives me a sense of perspective and a sense of God's power flowing through my life. And then every week I try to take a a, a, a kind of a Sabbath timeout on Friday where I don't think about the things that I normally think about. Just kind of kind of reflect, kind of write, kind of just take a timeout so that God can re-energize and refill. Um, th- there, there have been several instances in, in my life when I was getting ready for kind of the next season of my life. And timeouts really uh, helped me to hear God. Um, before I went into the type of ministry that I do right now, I felt a call to do this during a a college retreat, a timeout. In fact, this summer I had the opportunity for the first time in 30 years to go talk to the guy that conducted the timeout where I felt God's call into ministry and just say to him, thank you. You know, you've made a difference in my life. Uh, Before we started Seacoast Church, the elders at Northwood Assembly went to Dillard, Georgia for an extended timeout, a time to pray, just wait and seek the Lord. And that's where Seacoast was birthed, out of a timeout. And uh, so timeouts are important. And Jesus said, you know what? You're going to change the world, church. But before you do, don't leave. Don't leave. Take a timeout. Stop. Here's what we're going to do at Seacoast. I I feel like this series is so crucial to the future of our church. What's cool about this is we've been here 20 years. And uh, I don't want to sound corny, but I really believe that the best is yet to come. As, as God has collected us together, and now I believe that in a greater way, He's going to unleash us into a broken world uh, to heal and the hurts. and to I, I just I, Hopefully during this series, I'll be able to convey some of the things that I feel. But I feel like this is a new season for us, and so I think it's time for us to take a time out. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to ask everybody, if you would, if you consider it, on Wednesdays. Say Wednesday together. Wednesday. Wednesday at one o eight. Can you say one hundred eight? One oh eight. All right, trying to get you to remember that. Wednesday at one o eight, we're gonna take a timeout. If you're working, if it's possible that you can take just a little tiny mini break, maybe even thirty seconds or a minute, to stop and, and, and just take a break and pray and say, God, would you fill our church with the Holy Spirit? Would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? Would you would you give me marching orders for the world change that you desire for me? Uh, some of us are going to gather together in homes some of us are going to gather together at work some of us will be individual things at the campuses as many as possible we're actually going to gather at the campuses here at the Long Point campus we're going to gather in the chapel at 108 on Wednesday. Why 108? Because the key verse that we're going to study today is Acts 1.8. We're going to get to it in just a minute. And so at 108, we we're going to gather. We're going to take a six-week time out as a church just to pray, just to seek God, just to say, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. We want to be energized and used by you. We want to change the world that we're in. And so the first thing that a world changer does is they take a time out. Now, the second thing, look at, look at what he says in uh, verse 4. Get all that God has for you. That's the fill in the blank. Get all that God has for you. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until, circle until. He had a specific thing that was going to happen. You're going to know. You're going to leave Jerusalem when this happens. He says, until the Father sends you what He promised. He says, don't, don't get started on the work that I've called you to until you've got the, the, the right stuff, the right tools. Have you ever got started on a project and you didn't have the right tools and so you had to improvise and it became harder than it needed to be? Uh, example, how many of you ever have used a fingernail to screw in a screwdriver? Or screw in a screw? Just real quick, real quick, okay. All right, three of us. The rest of you are liars, okay? All right, if you didn't have a fingernail, how many of you used a credit card? How many of you have ruined a credit card by screwing in Okay, how about a butter knife? You've used a butter knife. Okay, there we go. I've been to some of your houses. I see the way that it's twisted at the end. You try to hide it, but you used it for a screwdriver, and it didn't work well because you didn't have the right tools because life works easier when you've got the right tools. And Jesus said, listen, I've got to work for you, church. I've got world-changing stuff for you to do, but you, you, need, to, you need to wait until until you get it. In fact, the next part of the verse he says, remember, I have told you about this before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Well we're going to have to wait until next week to find that out because that happened in Acts 2. That's not Acts 1. You'll want to be here next week. Next week is TNT week, power. I mean, it's going to be explosive and somewhat controversial. You'll want to be here. We're going to talk about it. But before we do, let's get some background. He says, you will be baptized. Let's let's see how this happened in Jesus' life. You you remember um, in our study of Luke, if you were here, in Luke chapter 3, before Jesus goes into public ministry, he goes to be baptized. Remember his cousin, John the Who? You guys are quick. John the Baptist was baptizing. John was like this radical guy. He was a prophet. He was weird. I mean, we'd probably, we'd probably have security watching him in the church, okay? Because this is a weird, weird guy. He wears his clothes. He wears like really rough clothes and he wears them inside out, okay? He eats locust and honey and he doesn't comb his hair and he just, he would be an embarrassment. We wouldn't use him as a greeter. But anyway, <laughs> he, he preaches repentance, he preaches repentance and, and, he, and he tells people, you need to repent of your sin and you need to be baptized. And what he does, people are convicted of their sin and, they're, and they go and they get baptized. Sometimes whole cities do. And one day he was baptized and then Jesus came and Jesus is his cousin. And John suddenly realizes who Jesus really is. And Jesus says, I want you to baptize me. And John says, man, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, No, this is according to Scripture. You need to do it. And so John baptized him. And then something really wild happens. It's like heaven opens a, a, a dove. The Holy Spirit comes on Jesus like a dove, it says. And then they hear the voice of God saying, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And what it was, it was validating Jesus' public ministry. And it says he came up out of the water full of of the Holy Spirit. Something happened to him. And then immediately after that in Luke 4, it said he was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert for a time out. And it wasn't a nice place to be. In fact, he was tempted. And let me just make one little point here. Sometimes we feel like when things aren't going right in our lives and things are hard, maybe we're being tempted. Sometimes we think, well, I must not be where God wants me to be. Well, you know what? Sometimes you're right in the middle of where God wants you to be. The important thing is to listen to the Holy Spirit, to get to such a point that you're led by the Holy Spirit and then to overcome where you are. You don't run. You walk through. You overcome. And Jesus overcame the temptation of the devil. And then it says that he went back to the city, and it says specifically, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit's power. Then he goes back to his original church where he grew up. He's going to preach in his original church. Can I tell you, that's a tough gig I did that. I remember one of my first messages was in the church that I grew up in, and you've got people in it. you're telling repent, you know, because when you first get saved, you think everybody is a sinner, you know, and you're the only one going to heaven. And, you know, I'm preaching repent, and there are ladies out there going, "I changed your diaper, pal," you know, <laughs> don't don't point your finger at me. So he goes back to the home church, and he takes up a scroll, Isaiah, the the word, and he reads from Isaiah. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has appointed me to preach good news to the poor, and He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he takes the scroll, and he rolls it up, and he sits it down, he goes and sits down, and everybody kind of just stares at him. So what's up with that? And then he goes out, and he does The stuff. Let me just make this point. Most of the world-changing stuff does not happen in the church. Okay? This is not the most important thing that happens. We come together. We worship. We celebrate. We receive teaching. It ought to be a time of encouragement for one another. But it's just building us up to go out where we do the stuff. And Jesus got up and He went out and He did the stuff. What did He do? He Healed the blind. He set at liberty captives. Some of them who were bound by demons that they couldn't overcome. He preached the good news to the poor. And and, and then he and, 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 and then he said, the, the day of the Lord's favor is on you. This is good news. And and he began to change the world. And 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 he showed the disciples and he brought them along with them. And he said, Okay, guys. Watch this. And and then in his last talk to him, just before he was crucified, he sat down with him and he said this. He said, but when the Father sends the counselor as my representative, by the counselor, I mean the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I myself have told you. He said, there's going to come a day. you, You need to remember this. There's going to come a day when the Father's going to send you the Holy Spirit and you're not going to be alone. I've called you to change the world and do things that you would never dream that you could do. But you're not going to do them in your own power. You're going to do them in the same power that I did. You're going to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be like a coach for you. There are going to be times when you're going to be out there and you're going to need to know a word that I said. And, and all of a sudden, it's going to pop into your mind. And the reason it's going to pop into your mind, it's because the Holy Spirit brought it because of the power that's inside of you. There are going to be times when you're going to need to pray for people and you won't know how to pray and the Holy Spirit is going to pray through you. There are going to be times when you're going to stand before people and you won't know what to say. When people are opposed to the message, when when people are criticizing you, you won't know what to say. And in that moment, the coach, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you'll say the right things. There will be times when you will be so sad Because life doesn't always work the way that you want it to. And there will be grief because the world is broken. And in those moments, the Holy Spirit will come and He will minister to you a peace that you will not understand. And when He does, you're going to impact everybody around you and they're going to be changed. And you know what? That's exactly what God wants to do through you. It's exactly the same thing. He says we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about what that means next week. And then we're to be filled again and again and again and again with the Holy Spirit so that He can work through us and in us and that the world would be changed. And so take a time out. second thing you do if you're going to change the world, get everything that God has for you. Everything. And then the third thing you do is this? You refuse to be distracted. You refuse to be distracted. If we're going to accomplish anything in life significant, you got to be focused. You got to be. You got to be. Uh, you, you, do you get distracted easily, or is it just me? Debbie will say to me, "Why don't you run to the grocery store and pick up these three things?" Gotcha. I'm in the grocery store. I know I'm in the right place, but for the life of me, I can't remember why I'm here. Am I the only one that ever does that? The other day she sent me to the grocery store and she said, get these three things. And I said, could you help me? I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want you to get mad at me again. I want you to text that to me right now. Will you text it to me? And hopefully I'll remember my phone, okay? And if I remember my phone, we're good. We're good. We're good. Got to stay focused. You got to stay focused. And you, know, you get going on the right track. And then all kinds of things come. happen to the disciples. They've been, they've been called. They've been trained to change the world. Jesus has been with them for three years. He gave him a last minute pep talk before he died. And now he's saying it again. He said, okay, you go wait because it's going to happen. We're going to change the world. Don't go until you're full of the Holy Spirit. Don't go until the gift from the Father comes. And look at their next question. Um, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, are you going to free Israel now? and restore our kingdom. Now, this is a big deal to them because they're under Roman domination. Life is hard, okay? Life's really hard for them right now. They're pumped up. Jesus is alive. They've been depressed because they thought He was dead and now He's alive. He is God and He's going to use them. And, and they said, oh, oh hey, is, is now the time that you off the Mormons? Or the Mormons. The Romans? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> time out. I love Mormons. <laughs> Romans. <laughs> Chill. And so and so he says, it's now the time you set Israel free and make our life easier. And Jesus Jesus <laughs> stop, this is good. God has a bigger vision. God has a vision not just to free Israel, but to free the world. See, our agendas, even our big ones, are short-sighted in light of God's vision. As a church, it is so easy to get sidetracked with the trivial and off of the mission that God has. In fact, I would suggest to you, and I love the church, and I think the church is a whole lot better now than it was in the book of Acts, I mean, they were pretty screwed up in the book of Acts. You just read the book of, you know, I mean, you got book of 1 Corinthians when, you know, oh, there's all kind of junk going on. I mean, it's just, and the church has progressed. I think God is doing great things. But you know what? The church gets distracted off of the mission. In fact, today, I think most of the church is distracted. I think Seacoast, we get distracted all the time. Churches get distracted. Churches fight over worship styles. And the world's broken Churches fight over the color of the carpet. And people are blind. Churches fight over the volume of the music. And there are captives that are bound. Churches fight over whether the preacher should be live or on video. And there are people dying. Families broken apart and people without God. Churches fight over whether the pastor should wear jeans or khakis or ties. And Jesus says there are poor that need to hear the good news. Blind eyes need to be opened. Captives need to be set free in Mount Pleasant, North Charleston, Columbia, Greenville, Kenya and South Africa and all over the world. They need to know that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And you're arguing about whether the gifts of the Spirit should be used in the church or whether they're used enough or whether we're Spirit-filled enough or whether people should speak in tongues or shouldn't speak in tongues. The church gets distracted. That's just stuff. Our agendas are short-sighted in light of God's vision. Lord, are You going to free Israel now? Notice Jesus didn't respond by saying, Hey, great question. One day... I'll send my servant Tim LaHaye to write a bunch of books to explain everything, and then Kirk Cameron will act it all out for you. (laughs) No, here's what he said. He said, the Father sets those dates. They're not for you. He says, don't get distracted by the trivial. And can I say to you, church, don't get distracted by the trivial. When is Jesus coming? When is the world going to end? Will it happen in 2012? Can I tell you? I'm not on the date and time committee. I'm on the change the world till he comes committee. That's what I know. Do what you know to do and don't worry about. It. That's a good time to apply. That's, that's all right. We're almost getting Pentecostal here. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. So you've been called to change your world. I gotta, I gotta hurry real quick. Take a time out. Get all God has for you. Don't get distracted. And the fourth thing you do is expect to be used by God. Expect to be used by God. This is the key verse, and I want you to read it out loud. Verse 8. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of of the earth, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will, circle the word will, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, which was the local area, Judea, which was the kind of the county around there, Samaria, which was not very far but was totally cross cultural. Different, different group of people, and to the ends of the earth. And fortunately they followed the instructions. And a small, ragtag group of ordinary people started a revolution that continues to change the world. And trust me, these were normal, ordinary people. Some of them were fishermen, just normal fishermen. One of them was a tax collector who was despised. One of them was way overconfident. Two of them craved social recognition for all the wrong reasons. They wanted to be first. One was a skeptic who had problems believing. And yet they took a time out. They received all God had for them. They continued to focus on the mission. And God used them beyond imagination. We're going to study how God used them. Unbelievable. Some of them received miraculous gifts from God. Gifts were that they would walk through and they would touch people and they would be healed. and Or the, even their shadow would touch people and they would be healed and others didn't receive that miraculous gift but they got into healing in fact did you know that the hospitals were first created by the church christians nursing associations were created by christians because the greek and roman societies of the time cared very little about the weak it was all about the strong and here were christians countercultural, who went and they changed their world in fact they did so many things during that time Uh, there was very little value of life. Um, Children were often abandoned if they were uh, not totally healthy or if they were girls because women had very little value in the society. And If you had more than one girl in your family, most generally you would either abandon the next one or drown them at birth. And you say, how can mothers do that? Because they were so saturated in the culture. It's just what they did. And people who wrote in the first century about the first century church that weren't even Christians said, you know, one of the amazing things about these people is that they take orphans in. They practice the kind of hospitality that's not just let's go out to eat together. It's why don't you come live with me if you don't have a place. It changed the world. It was a culture of death. Violence was premium. In fact, I was there this summer in Rome. I loved Rome. It was a great place to be. Until the boat caught on fire. But that's a whole nother deal. But but I, I stood there in the Colosseum and my heart was broken in the Colosseum. The Colosseum is this great architectural wonder. 40 or 60,000 people could fit in. It was built 80 AD, not long after Acts was written. And the specific use of the Colosseum was so that gladiators, slaves, people who were captured from other cultures, people who didn't matter in that culture. It never could matter. They were placed in there to fight against one another to the death. What's the difference between NFL football and gladiators? It was a fight to the death. It was a different thing. And they, they gloried in it. And it was the Christians that eliminated it. First, they boycotted the games. They wouldn't go. And then some of them got involved in politics because that's what God had called them to do and be. And ultimately, a Christian emperor eliminated the blood sport of Rome. In fact, if you study down through history, you'll see that where there has been a Christian, oh, there's been bad things happen through the name of Christianity. But when there has been a real Christian influence, it has been life giving and world changing. In fact, in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, it said about this ragtag group a few years later, said these men, are the ones who have turned the world upside down, and they have come here also. William Carey, who is the father of modern missionary movement, said this. He said it like this, and I love it. He said, here's what you need to do. If you're going to be a world changer, you need to expect great things from God and then attempt great things for God. Do you like that? Expect great things from God And then attempt great things for God. Now, if you try to do that, you'll have critics that will rise up and tell you it can't be done. There's not enough money. Who are you? It can't be done. They have the ministry of discouragement, the gift of criticism. But you know what? There there will be a group of people who will look at that and say, you know what? God has a calling on my life, God has a calling on this church. It's got a calling on you. Some of you, when you take a time out, when you get everything that God has for you, when you stay focused and when you expect great things from God, some of you will, give, will, will receive gifts to heal. For some of you, it may be miraculous. I pray for that. I had a prayer team member. I've been sick for two weeks and it's not contagious. It's, a, it's a, um, uh, an infection thing. And I haven't been able to hear for a couple of weeks. And last night I asked one of our prayer team members to pray for my ear that it would open. And it opened last night while I was preaching. I'm praying for, and you, you know, and, well, you've been taking medicine long enough. Well, I, I, don't, I don't care what happened. I just pray, God, help me. Best prayer you can ever pray is just God help. How many of you know that sometimes? And I'm praying that God will grace some of you with those gifts. Others of you won't have the supernatural gifts. You'll have gifts of mercy and and compassion and you'll change the world by trying to heal people who, like in dental access days and in in medical clinics and giving away your time. Some of you will have tremendous gifts of encouragement and gifts of teaching and you're going to change the world through that. Some will be drawn to the poor, to the forgotten, to the undeserved. Some will be moved by injustices And ultimately, you'll discover, you know what? I think God's calling me to politics to help change that. I don't get involved in the political process. I'm not a Republican or Democrat. We've got both in this church, and we always will, I hope. But I encourage you guys. Some of you have a passion that God's burning within you, and you need to follow it. We need people, Christians, who will change the world in every arena that's out there as doctors and teachers and mothers and lawyers and politicians and service industry people. Some will do acts of kindness. I mean, I heard this week about one block here in Mount Pleasant where there's some sea coasters on the block and, and they team up and every time the sanitation truck comes through once a week to take the trash, they make sure that the sanitation workers get a cold ice you know, drink of some kind. I think that's cool. I think that's cool. Someday one of those sanitation workers is going to be in a hard place and they're going to remember those people. And God will touch them. He's changing the world. Somebody else told me just this week they, they were in the chapel and maybe here this morning and they were going through a hard time in their life. They dropped out of church. They were depressed, discouraged. And last Christmas some of you were wrapping Christmas gifts. I mean that's one of the easiest outreaches you can do. Wrapping Christmas gifts for free. Some of you did that. You remember that. You wonder if anybody was touched by that. This lady said she saw that. She asked, how much does it cost? One of you said, it's free. Just in Jesus' name, we just want to love you. She went home. She couldn't believe it. Came to the Christmas Eve service. Still was skeptical. And then she began to see others of you at various places in the community. Everywhere she went, she said there was somebody serving somebody. Somebody. She said, I can trust a God like that. Came to church, rededicated her life to Christ, and now is serving in medical outreach because that's the gifts that she has. Her husband came up to me while they were talking, and he said, hey, by the way, if people can't get plugged in at Seacoast, it's their own fault. I said, okay, all right, time out, time out. I I got you, I got you. They're both serving in medical outreach, and God's changed their life. Some of you will write music and books that draw people to the majesty of God. Some will teach children. Where will you do it? You'll do it in the church in Jerusalem. You'll do it in the community, which is Judea. You'll do it cross-culturally, which might be in another culture from you. And you'll do it around the world. But God's called us to change the world. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you today for your word. God, I pray that you would radicalize us to the kingdom of God. That we would see the world through your eyes. That we would crave to be filled with your Holy Spirit so that we can be people who are used by you to do the incredible. Just ordinary, ragtag people who love you. God, I pray that you would challenge us to the extraordinary. That we would attempt, that we would expect great things from you and we would attempt great things in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.